You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1023 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening into Saturday. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. Only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Today's podcast will focus on what became basically a night to forget for the Hawks. A pretty disastrous outcome. Game two, they lose 125 to 91 in Milwaukee, and it wasn't even that close at times in the second half of this contest. The Hawks have been incredible in Game 1s. They're 3-0 in the playoffs in Game 1, but they're now 0-3 in Game 2. This is definitely the low point in terms of their worst performance in the playoffs. To this point, they had won three in a row on the road, uh, the last two in Philly and then the first one in Milwaukee. But that streak came to an end on this evening, and honestly, it was competitive for a while, and then the second quarter just co- totally unraveled. They trailed by as many as 41 points, and it was non-competitive for the vast majority of the second half of this game. So we'll get into everything as always. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. It's kind of a weird night to be jumping on, but I appreciate all of everyone's support. Please subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, and all of that fun stuff, and we'll dive in now as we always do. Um, pre-game, the number one story, other than the Hawks playing great, and honestly, the Hawks got a lot of national love in the last two days, which was encouraging. I know Hawks fans took some solace in that. Trey got a lot of positive press for obvious reasons after being incredible in Game 1. John Collins and the whole team got some recognition. But aside from that, there was a bevy of questions pregame about Giannis's free throw routine. There were a couple stories written about Giannis and the fact that the Hawks were trying to get uh, the lead to look, look at his free throw routine and uh, have him speed up a little bit. Nate McMillan mentioned that as well in pregame. I thought he was a little bit faster in this game. But other than that, um, the only pregame question injury-wise was Bogdanovich, who ended up playing in this game again. Uh, again, a, a pretty limited role, but ended up starting and looked, I think, a little bit better physically. Just, a, I would say, slightly better in this game. But um, I think he's going to maybe be questionable the entire series, but he ended up playing again in this spot. The Hawks were 8.5-point underdogs, according to our friends at BattleLab.ag. They did not cover that, obviously, but that's where the number was coming into the night. And the Bucks threw their first haymaker out of the gate. It was 12-3. to Milwaukee, with 2,000 McDonovich in the early going, they brought in Solomon Hill very, very quickly. Uh, the officiating was a story early on. Obviously, it didn't matter enough to you know overturn what was a very lopsided game, but it was certainly a strangely officiated game at times, especially early on. Scott Foster and his crew, uh, I would say, injected themselves into the proceedings on both ends of the floor. It wasn't just the Hawks, too. I mean, they had, the Bucks had some bad calls against them, too, but they, they let a lot, lot of stuff go. Also, I had some ticky-tack fouls at the same time, just a lot of inconsistency that was kind of maddening to watch as someone just trying to enjoy a basketball game. But alas, the Hawks just kind of started out cold offensively as well. They had three points on their first nine possessions. That is uh, disaster stuff out of the gate for Atlanta. Trey was kind of quiet early, and he didn't have the the ball a lot in the first few minutes, which is kind of strange after the huge night that he had in game one. He he definitely got back on the ball later on, but uh, that biggest stretch was kind of just odd. They didn't didn't run a whole lot through Trey at the outset. Um, Middleton actually had a second foul as well. had to sit pretty quickly, which which is pretty helpful for the Hawks early on. But Moak got got into the bonus, and... The Bucks shot the ball well in the first quarter. They, were, they actually made their first four three-point attempts, and they were 7 of 10 at one point from three in the early going. Um, there was a nice tip-up by John Collins, one of the brighter spots of the night for Atlanta. But they uh, you know, kind of, they went to this two-point guard lineup again with Trey and Lou alongside three power forwards, Solomon Hill, Collins, and Gallinari. 
And they closed the quarter with Trey and the bench. They got down as many as 10 in the first quarter after giving up an offensive rebound, losing fours. But the turnovers were a problem the entire night, especially early on. Um, there was the one stretch of good offense from Gallinari late in the first quarter, which he had nine points in about three minutes against Pat Connaughton. That's a matchup that definitely favors the Hawks if you're trying to find some some uh, positive takeaways. If they put Connaughton on Gallinari, he's going to cook him. Now, Gallinari's defense is another question we'll get into later on in this game, but that's a matchup that the Hawks did, uh, I, th- I thought, exploit pretty well in the first quarter. You know, they were only down six at the end of the first quarter, and given that Milwaukee made seven threes in the opening period, that didn't feel too bad. Milwaukee actually shot 46% on twos in the early going, but the Hawks scored at a pretty average clip despite their slow start and the turnovers that they had. They shot the ball pretty well in the first quarter, but obviously it was all downhill from there. Before we get into the rest of the game itself, today on the road to finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories, super carbs. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So the second quarter is where things all went horribly wrong for Atlanta. Again, they're down six at the end of the first it was competitive, you know, I think honestly, at the break between the quarters, I felt like the Hawks were in a decent spot because of how they sort of dodged what could have been an uglier bullet in the first quarter. That was the end of that, though. So, Trey rests, as he often, I would say, slash usually does at the start of the second quarter, and they went with Lou, Herter, and Bogdanovich together, which I actually kind of liked. Um, I mentioned in game one, after the game, that with Bogdanovich in his current state, you can't rely on him to be their number one option on the bench unit. So going with Herter with that group actually liked a little bit, but defensively it didn't work in this spot. And it was pretty ugly overall. They were minus six in the four minutes without Trey. And it went from down six to down 12. Pretty sloppy. Although Bogdanovich made his first three since game six against Philly, which was a nice uh, welcome sign. But um, they brought the stars back in from there. It was wobbling a little bit. There were some signs, a couple threes from Herter. There was one from Herter, one from Young to keep things in that 10 point range. They went, they went back to Gallinari and then, the other headliner in terms of positivity in this game overall was Cam Reddish played. And Cam has, of course, been out for four months of time, and he had his moments positively and negatively in this game. But having him out there in the first in the first half was at least a little, I would say, a little bit surprising, just slightly because of the way that they had handled it to that point. But it was already a double-digit game. Good time to bring him in. And he brought that energy. But um, unfortunately for Cam, this is not on him. But as soon as he came in, the floodgates kind of opened. If you watch it back, it was not Reddish you know, messing up or anything like that. Just kind of the way it happened. But basically, um, Trey had a live ball turnover. That was the ninth turnover in a row of, the, of the first half already for the Hawks. And it got worse after that. They called timeout already with the run happening for Milwaukee. Then after the timeout, Trey turned the ball over twice in a row again leading to five points in a row for the Bucks. He had eight turnovers in the first half of this game. Yes, eight turnovers in the first half for Trey Young individually. But, um, so that, that kind of kicked off what was a total disaster run that basically ended the game. A 20 to nothing run by Milwaukee to go from up 11 to up 31 in a very short amount of time. The Hawks just totally collapsed, honestly. There's no other way around that. It was turnover, layup, turnover, layup, turnover, three, Bad shot, you know. It was just a totally, you know, ball went on the hill kind of instance where just nothing went right. They couldn't, they couldn't make a shot to get the sort of the, the bleeding stopped. And um, basically, again, that was the end of the game. Um, in that stretch, Cam missed a dunk, which I felt sorry for him on that spot. He hadn't played so long, but it was actually a good action by him. He just didn't uh, get up and finish it. But all kinds of disasters. In the second quarter alone, the numbers are striking. It was forty-three to seventeen in favor of Milwaukee. The Bucks were eighteen of twenty-four from the field in the quarter. And honestly, that wasn't too fluky because of how 
easy the looks were. There were so many bad fast break opportunities that the Hawks sort of engineered from Milwaukee that they got so many layups and dunks that it wasn't even fluky that they shot that well. Um, the Hawks were 7-21 from the floor in the period with eight turnovers in a quarter. So to put it in perspective, eight turnovers for a quarter means you're on pace for 32 in the game, which is obviously like disaster level. You cannot turn them over eight times in a quarter and expect to do anything. And the turnovers led to 13 points directly. So you got bludgeoned anyway, but that just kind of made it easier on Milwaukee. And the Hawks are down 32 at the half. Their second largest playoff deficit in franchise history in terms of uh, you know postseason games. The Bucks had 11 steals at the half, which is an astronomical figure for one half of basketball. The Hawks had five assists. So the Bucks had twice as many steals as the Hawks had assists, which is just that is out of out of a movie, basically, how ridiculous that is. Um, and the Bucks also actually cooled off a little bit from three, but they still made 10 in the first half, whereas the Hawks were more normal. And that was, you know, obviously that was going to be the end of that. We'll get into the second half and some things that we took away from that. But, um, you know, the damage was done. The second quarter was the flip side of this game, and that's where things kind of went from kind of shaky at the end of the first to totally over by halftime. All right, before we get to the rest of this game and some takeaways looking ahead to the rest of the series, a word from our sponsor of today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at BetOnline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code one more time is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll dive in now to the second half of this game. Obviously, we'll go quickly. Uh, this is not going to be a 40-minute episode as I have done a few of these in the last couple of weeks. This is going to be a shorter one, to be sure, given how ugly the second half was. I thought going into halftime, they might consider just shutting down Bogdanovich because of the injury stuff, the pain that he's clearly in. But he ended up starting. Um, the Hawks went down by 38 pretty fast in the third quarter. And it was if it wasn't already over, it was over at that point. There was one run by Atlanta. When Milwaukee didn't score three times in a row, the Hawks scored eight points in a row, and they went from 38 to 30. Now, that isn't a real threat, but it wasn't like... Once you do that, you're not going to pull your starters then because the game's like technically not over. But um, in short order from there, after a timeout, the Bucks came back out and um, sort of, I think, turned it up for one more run, basically, put the game away. The Bucks actually, again, cooled off from three. So they started seven of ten in the first half from three. That's obviously red hot after a bad shooting night in game one for Milwaukee. They actually made only three of their next 19 from three. But it was the exact opposite from two-point range. So in the first quarter, the Bucks were 6 of 13 from 2, which is pretty bad. Sub-50% from 2 is not a good number. Um, but they they made 20 of their next 23 on 2s. A lot of layups in there, to be sure, but just a very strange flip of those two things. But Milwaukee ended up scoring effectively the entire way. The only the final run that actually mattered in terms of like you know runs go was a 12 by it was a 12 to 2 by Milwaukee to go up by 40 at that point late in the third quarter, and that was the end of that. Gallinari got frustrated and it kind of blew, kind of blew through Connaughton on a uh, on, on an off ball charge play, 
and they got teed up for arguing with the call. Um, the only crazy thing that I wanted to at least mention briefly was that Mike Budenholzer, old pal, um, challenged a moving screen up by 40 at the end of the third quarter. And even national folks were like, what is happening right now? Why is he challenging this? It was just a ridiculous play. You know, Bud's got some sodium, I'm sure, for the Hawks. But uh, that was a very odd thing to do in that moment. It's kind of where I'll leave it for now. But through three quarters, which is basically, you know, the competitive portion was really the first half. But through three quarters, at least the teams were kind of playing their guys still. The Bucs had a 138 offensive rating through three, and the Hawks were at 83. So that kind of tells you their net rating was uh, minus 50 or so through three quarters. Um, in the fourth, not a whole lot going on. You know, bench guys in there for um, for the Bucks immediately, their third unit, basically. The Hawks played their regular bench at the outset, other than using Cam. But then they went to Chris Dunn and Nathan Knight quickly in the fourth. Um, Reddish, I thought, was, you know, it was up and down. But I wanted to at least highlight a few things that he did in this spot. He had two mid-rangers on one possession. He missed the first one. But they got the offensive rebound, kicked it back to him, and made the second one. He had a nice catch-and-shoot three on the left wing as well. He took some tough shots, shots that you would not love, and that was one of the question marks, I'll say, about playing Cam, is that he's not shy, which is I think is a good thing overall. But in this setting, when he hasn't played for so long, you don't love that. But again, you know, he's in there down 40. I don't blame him for shooting and being aggressive at all. He, he has some nice flashes. Um, certainly had some challenges as well. His finishing has never been great, and there was a couple instances of that. But I thought at least he brought some energy and looked look, look, look like himself physically, which is what really matters to me after that, after that whole length of time. Um, one more note here. Nathan Knight took a hard fall with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. He looked, um, you know, he walked off the floor and was walking on his own, And it, but he went to the locker room. No update that I saw after that, but uh, hopefully he's feeling all right. It was kind of a bad, ugly fall. I'm glad it wasn't worse. He was able to get up and walk off at least. But um, from there, brought in Bruno and Scott Mays, and everybody that was active ended up playing in the game, but there were nothing really to uh, point to in the fourth quarter. It was full-on garbage time for pretty much the duration of that period. Um, we're going to go out of order a little bit here as we, uh, you know, my normal schedule on the podcast that I kind of follow and talk about the uh, individual players quickly here. So I'm going to kind of breeze through this because I'm not going to go player by player just because there's so little to take away. I will say this. Uh, I'm not sure there's a single guy on the roster that I thought played well in this game, which is not a surprise when you lose by 34 and you trail by 41. Um, the closest that I can come up with is probably John Collins or Solomon Hill, maybe, for their normal baseline. Collins had 11 and 8 in 24 minutes. He was okay, uh, had four fouls, but was minus 33. Like, what are you going to do? Um, Hill didn't score, but I thought was at least competitive defensively at times. And Cam. I mean, Cam did a couple things well. Took you know, It was 4 of 10 from the floor, had 11 points in 17 minutes. Um, but, like, everybody else that played that was a regular just did not have it in this game. Click Capella, 2 points, 8 rebounds, was 1 of 5 from the floor. Just didn't have the same kind of juice that he had in game one. That was at least a little bit jarring to me. Nobody did again, but alas. Um, Bogdanovich, I think if you're looking for a slight positive, I thought his jumper looked better in this game. He's not he's not moving well still, but you know, if you watch game seven and game one, everything he shot was short. There just was nothing, there was no legs at all in it. Uh, he made two threes in this game, missed another one that kind of rattled out that looked pretty good. So if you're looking for small, small wins, that might be one. He looked a little bit better physically in this game. Kevin Herter struggled, was 3 of 10 from the floor, had a, had a couple of bad turnovers in transition. Um, Okongwu had a couple of bonehead plays. I thought he was okay defensively at times, but not his best work. Um, Lou was pretty shaky 
off the bench. I thought Gallinari's defense was, uh, you know, borderline unplayable. There was the one stretch in the first half when Gallo got hot and had nine points, but he kind of had to do that to even offset himself. That's how bad he was defensively in this game, and he, he does that every once in a while, but it's worth noting that even on a night when he had 12 points in 16 minutes, I thought Gallo was still a pretty big negative just because he just could not stay in front of anybody defensively, and it's a question. Like, he might be – they have to play him, don't get me wrong, but he might be – a liability in the series, given the matchups that are out there and what he can and can't do. But we'll see. He's going to have to make some shots, that's for sure. Also, I should I should note, I should note that Cam Reddish, um, I know I mentioned him, him playing for the first time in four months, McMillan said after the game, and I talked about this a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but McMillan confirmed it pretty clearly after the game, this is the first five-on-five live action for Cam Reddish of any kind in four months. Now, that may not seem crazy, but... Normally, it is kind of unthinkable that a guy would come back, particularly a role player, a bench guy, would come back after not playing live action for four months. And then you factor in that basically with no scrimmaging in practice, he's playing in the conference finals. And now the fourth quarter of this of this game was not even a conference final setting, but he played in the first half. I mean, it wasn't over when he came in. Um, so that's uh, it's pretty wild that they did that. I mean, I, I don't blame them because they're so shorthanded on the wing, but um, McMillan at least said that out loud, like Cam had not even scrimmaged, which is normally they're, they're, they're sort of dividing the line for bringing guys back. So kind of a weird one there, but I thought he looked okay. And then we'll end, uh, you know, we can go through all the guys, you know, Scott Mays, Bruno Fernando got in. That was cool that they got to play in the conference finals, if nothing else. Um, lastly, we'll go, we'll go to Trey here. Um, 15 points. Three assists, two steals, two rebounds, but had nine turnovers. Uh, that's That ties his career high. And if, if he played normal minutes, he would have set his career high. He had eight in the first half of this game. And to his credit, he took responsibility for the loss and all that stuff. You know, it wasn't only Trey. Don't, don't get me wrong. Trey was bad. It's as bad as I've seen him play in a while offensively. Um, he was uh, also defensively, I thought, was way worse in this game. I thought he was pretty darn competitive, honestly, in game one. But he was... Uh, you know, not good in game two. Uh, not that, again, not alone by any means, but when, when you're the best player and you get all the, all the credit, you have to maybe take a little bit more blame. He did, and he did that, which is, again, to his credit. But the turnovers were just jarring from Trey. He had a stretch in the second quarter. I think he had five turnovers in about five minutes. It was really like kind of staggeringly bad ball security from Trey. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I expect him to bounce back. He has been incredible in this playoff run. He was bad this game, but basically, as I just laid out, everyone was bad in this game. So um, this is one you kind of just have to try to forget, but uh, we'll have one more segment in a moment to talk about the uh, takeaways and some of the numbers and stuff from this game, and we'll look ahead to game three and beyond. But first, it will from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor? And when you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors. And if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone in my favorite flavor right now anyway. I have many favorites, to be honest with you. But right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors, though, get a mixed box right now where you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry, mint brownie, or whatever you would like, and if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. 
All right, we'll focus on the takeaways now, some stats, and just kind of how how ugly this game was and how it might inform the rest of the playoff run in this series. So offensively, the Hawks didn't shoot it great in this game. They were 40% from the floor, 8 of 29 from three in the first three quarters. The fourth quarter, just throw it out entirely. But it was a little bit more reasonable in the first half. They shot it well in the first quarter. They just kind of let go of the rope a little bit. But, you know, the shooting was not really the problem. It wasn't great shooting, but it wasn't, like, totally disastrous. But it was, it was everything else in this game. They had 18 turnovers in three quarters. That is more telling to me than having 20 in the full game because, again, the fourth quarter was useless. Um, but 18 and three quarters is a very, very ugly number. And part of why the Hawks have had so much success in the playoffs is that they have k- taken care of the ball at a great level. They've been a top-tier ball security team in the playoffs. They were in the top 10 during the regular season. They do, they do a good job taking care of the ball. But this this night was not, uh, not a highlight in that regard. Um, those 18 turnovers, and by the way, in the three quarters led to 25 points directly. That's a huge problem for the Hawks. And Milwaukee had 12 steals in three quarters. That is jarring. Elsewhere on offense, they had 13 assists in this game. That is a extremely low number. Um, even on the 34 field goals they had, which is also a very low number, 13 assists is uh, very, very bad. In terms of their ball movement was not good in this game. They also missed some shots when they could have had a few more assists, but still an offensive collapse in a lot of ways. I think defensively they were actually better than the offense, but that is not a high bar to clear. But uh, notably, they were better. I think if I had to pick a side, I would choose the defense being better in this game. So they gave up a lot in terms of their offensive rating allowed to Milwaukee. That's for sure. But I think the number one culprit in that was the live ball turnovers from the Hawks offensively. And, you know, offense feeds defense and, and the other way around, to be sure. But Milwaukee had 27 fast break points in this game. And they had 25 in the first three quarters. So, again, it's more telling you go for three quarters in this game than four. 25 through three quarters is just terrible transition defense. Now, again, part of that's the offense just giving the ball away. But for reference, the number one team in the league in fast break points this season was Memphis. They averaged about 17 per game offensively. The Bucs had 25 in three quarters. So that's a high number. It kind of tells you how high that number actually is. You know, defensively, they were better than the offense, but that's not they were not good by any means defensively, even when it was in the half court. The Bucs actually kind of cooled off to 37% from three, which is actually below their season average. Now, that's not really indicative. I think a lot of that was them missing shots when it didn't necessarily matter. I think more reasonably, you would go off the 14 of 32 from Milwaukee in the first three quarters, which is still, like, good, but not crazy. They were hot early on. I saw some references to them kind of shooting the lights out, and but they did, they did kind of stop making threes at some point. The problem is that the interior then went crazy for Milwaukee. Again, a good chunk of that is layups and transition and steals and uh, the whole mess overall. But the Bucks had 62 points in the paint in this game. That's less than the 70 they had in game one, but that's still way too many to survive. And also, Milwaukee dominated on the glass in this game, uh, both into the floor. That allowed them to get a bunch of second chance points. Um, I believe they had, uh, yeah, they <laughs> offensive rebounding. They had 16 offensive rebounds in this game, 37% offensive rebound rate. That is sky high, and the Hawks didn't make a huge impact either on the offensive glass. So I can go all day on bad stats. I'll stop there for now. But in general, the numbers are actually worse through three quarters and probably more indicative. And also the Hawks only took one more free throw than the Bucks, which is also bad. The Hawks need to win that free throw battle consistently to win this series, in my view, and they did not do that in this game. Okay, we'll get away from that now and look at a little bit here. So I'm looking right now at the... Um, series line from betonline.ag, our sponsor here on the podcast. And as you might expect, you know, 
as I said before this game and on Twitter, etc. Milwaukee was still favored like 60%-ish in the series, according to the betting market, um, after game one. Now they're minus 380 to win, so it's like up towards the 80% mark. Um, that seems a little high to me because of what I'm about to say. This is going to be very obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's it's relevant to here on the way out of the podcast. The Hawks went into Milwaukee and got a split. And it could be overstated. I know I've said it a lot, but the goal on the road in a playoff series is to split the first two games. I said that after game one, people were like, oh, well, they, they can win game two. Game two is, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely the case. I never said they couldn't. But the big thing, and by the way, McMillan said the same thing after the game, is you go you go get home court. You go split, and that, that way you have home court the rest of the way, and it's a shorter series, and it's a, it's a five-game series now, and the Hawks have home court. Think about it that way. That's a pretty good advantage to have. But, so, the, the margin of defeat here does not really matter. I mean, it felt crazy, this game. It's not every day that you can kind of check out. I know a lot, of, a lot of fans just kind of tapped out. I don't blame you. I watched the whole game, but that's my job to do that. The fourth quarter was almost entirely useless. So, that's not a regular occasion in the playoffs. But, this doesn't, lo- this doesn't lose you anything. I mean, it's obviously, it's one loss. Um, but I think it was a little bit fluky in how bad the Hawks played. You can't expect them to be that bad pretty much ever. They let, they let go of the rope a little bit, that's for sure, and it'll be important that they bounce back, and it's going to be on McMillan to get them ready to play in Game 3, but you'll have the home crowd in front of you and all that stuff. So Game 3 becomes huge. If you lose Game 3 in lopsided fashion, maybe you start losing some confidence, etc. But for now, the end result, as crazy as this loss was, as bad as this loss was, is that the Hawks went up to Milwaukee and split, and they're in better shape now than they were when the series started. That might sound crazy after losing my 40 or whatever it was, 34 tonight, but uh, it really is the case still, and uh, you know the fact that they lost control of this game doesn't really impact anything more than it would have been in a 10-point loss. So, Game 3, Sunday night in Atlanta. I expect the Hawks uh, crowd to be rocking and rolling at State Farm Arena, so we'll see how they fare in that game. I think they'll probably be underdogs in the betting market. I'm not seeing a number just yet. I'm looking right now, actually. Um, our friends at Line, again, as of Friday evening, have the Bucks as five-point favorites on the road in Atlanta. So that's, that's a pretty high number. Um, you know, I'm sure Hawks fans will take some solace in that, playing the underdog role and all that stuff. But uh, that's the that's the baseline projection for now. But I think the Hawks have to feel pretty good playing at home. I know they lost game six in their last home game against Philadelphia, but they've been very, very, very good at home under McMillan. So we'll see how they fare in that spot. Uh, that'll be the next podcast to have. will be after the game on Sunday, unless something crazy happens over the weekend. I usually try to take the weekends off. Um, well, off, is, off is a relative term, but unless there's a game, I don't usually try to pop it on Saturday night. But uh, stay tuned. Please subscribe to the podcast. I will have plenty of content coming, win, lose, or draw the rest of the way. Someone asked me about draft content today, actually, on Twitter. You may notice if you're a longtime listener that I usually am knee-deep in the draft by now. But for obvious reasons, with the Hawks still playing, I've not done that on the podcast. I promise you, when the Hawks' season ends, whether whether it be in a loss or winning the title, I will pivot to the draft at that point. Until then, I don't really have time to do that on the podcast um, I am still following it for my other responsibilities at Dime and elsewhere. So I have some draft takes to be sure. And I'll have some guests lined up whenever that happens. But for now, for obvious reasons, we will stay away from the draft for now and uh, come back to that when the season ends, whenever and however that happens. So please stay tuned. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Thank you as always for listening to the podcast. And we'll see you all after the game on Sunday.